sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Well, welcome to Antioch Church, you guys. That's, that's pretty much the response that I was looking for. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we are, we're rounding the corner in this series, which remains nameless, uh, by the way. It's uh, kind of funny. Um, between Jonathan and me, I think that we've named this series about five different things over the course of the past five months. But the heart and the soul of what we're trying to communicate really is that God has called us to be a community of believers um, that are drawn together by the goodness and the grace of God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that the way that we treat one another matters. The way that we treat each other matters not only for our individual lives, it matters for the kind of community, uh, the faithful witness of God that he has placed here in the earth, But we also believe that it matters for the sake of the witness of the gospel. In other words, it matters because people who don't believe like we do, people who don't think like we think, people who think that we're absolutely out of our minds, when they see the way that we treat each other, when they see the way that we care about one another, when they see the way that we selflessly live our lives for each other, particularly in crisis, particularly when things are falling apart around us, when the world sees that, there is something that authenticates who God is and the way that we live towards one another. And this will be a continual journey, you guys. This will be something that we are living into and that we're living towards until the day that we die or Jesus comes back. All right, we are constantly and continually maturing into that reflection of Christ's body that he has called us and created us to be. So Jonathan, the past two weeks has done a outstanding job, in my opinion, talking about what it means to be people of promise, to be people who are formed by the promise of God and people who live out our promises of commitment and faithfulness to one another. I'm going to wrap up in the next two weeks and we're going to talk about hospitality. And um, this is something that's that's wrecking me and, and ruining me uh, afresh and anew. I'll probably talk a little bit more about that next week. Um, but I've, I've gotten a hold of a couple of resources, you guys, that, um, you know, typically as preachers and teachers of the word, uh, you know, the, the very best way, I'm going to get really raw here, the very best way for us to, to proclaim truth is for that truth to get inside of us almost like a, like a virus, right? And it just messes with us and it changes us. It convicts us. It breaks us. It, cha- it, 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 it confronts us. Um, the very best kind of preaching is not where, you know, you just kind of read material and then you regurgitate that material and then you throw it back and you didactically kind of, you know, talk about ideas. Uh, in my estimation, I think the, the very best kind of preaching is when the living word of truth is, is doing its work inside of you. And I'm telling you, God, God is messing with me. 
he is, um, he's, uh, I'm, I'm at such a loss for words. Um, you know, I came out of my study a few days ago and uh, Christy was preparing lunch for her parents that were coming over to join us for lunch. And I'm just weeping. I'm like, I'm broken over the story of hospitality that I've encountered in this particular lady whose book I was reading. And um, I'll share more about her story next week. But the very best kind of truth is a truth that makes you look at your life. And without any shred of condemnation, I think it pushes you forward into what, what you could be. It pushes you forward. There's an, invit- like, there's an invitation from God when you touch truth that invites you into part of his character, that invites you into a part of the reason why you and I were created. So, so today I'm going to do my best to work through talking about the God of hospitality. And uh, we're going to just follow a pattern. It's a pattern that developed, I think, uh, we weren't planning on this pattern to develop but a pattern has developed where we first look at these pillars of community and we find that these pillars are actually rooted in the character and in the nature of who God is, which makes sense because all truth begins in God. Um, All principle begins in the unchanging eternal character of God. And so we've walked through that with beginning with the fact that God is the ultimate truth teller. And then we kind of work that through. How does that then affect the way that we live our lives as people who have been called to truth? Jonathan talked about the fact that God is the ultimate promise maker and the ultimate promise keeper. And then from there, we look at that perfect standard. We look at that benchmark and we say, God, now how do I live my life towards that perfect standard of being a promise keeper? So today we're gonna keep... Uh, the pattern going, and we're going to talk about the fact that God is the God of hospitality. Now, I'm going to do something different I typically have never done or don't typically do in in teaching and preaching, because, you know, there's a lot of different ways to preach, a lot of different methods, and and one of those is, you know, you unfold points as you go, and and you make a point, you explain the point, you go on to the next point. Uh, today, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw all the points out there in front of you, and then we're just going to walk through the scriptures, and I want you to look for each of these points in each of the various stories that we're going to read. Some of the stories in the scriptures will have all of the points that I'm going to throw out to you right now. Some of them might just have one. Some might have two or three, all right? And here's the points, um, that when we talk about God being a God of hospitality, As we define hospitality very simply, we're gonna make this very, very simple. To to walk in hospitality is to generously receive strangers or guests without reward. To generously receive strangers or guests without reward. You know, the actual word for hospitality is the word Philoxenia, all right? Anybody have any idea? Philoxenia. Philo or philo is the word for love, right? Xenia is the word for stranger, right? Have you heard of the word xenophobia, right? To be a xenophobic means that you have a fear of the stranger. It means that you're against or opposed 
to someone who is not like you, ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, geographically, you name it, right? But the word for hospitality is the, very, is the exact opposite of that. It's, it's philoxenia. It means that we have a love for the stranger, a love that is not our own. It's a love that's beyond just kind of human compassion or moral goodwill. It's a love that's birthed from the fact that we were once strangers to God, that we were once enemies of God, that we were estranged foreigners, aliens, refugees, that that we were opposed to God, and yet God generously welcomed us without reward. That, that God generously and liberally and kindly and patiently opened his heart, made preparation for us, set numerous tables for us, pursued us, welcomed us into relationship with him and his family and his home without expecting anything at all in return. So let's talk about this God of hospitality. Here are the four points. Number one, to be a person of hospitality or what I see in God, let me say it like this. What I see in God as the God of hospitality is number one, I see pursuit. Number two, I see presence. Number three, I see preparation. And number four, I see provision. Number one, I see presence or pursuit, pursuit. Number two, I see presence. Number three, I find preparation that God makes preparation for us in his hospitality towards humanity. And then finally, I see provision. All right, let's walk through this. Let's start with Genesis chapter three. For those of you guys who are unfamiliar with the Bible at large and particularly the Genesis Story. The word Genesis very simply means beginning. And in Genesis, we find the beginning of many things. We find the beginning of all creation. We find that God reveals himself as creator. We find the beginning of humanity and humanity's story. We find the beginning of Israel. It's the Genesis. It's the beginning of our story at large. And in Genesis chapter one and two, as Aaron referenced this morning, we find that God creates all of the world, that God creates all of humanity, And that, as I said in our gospel declaration, that God creates us good. He creates us in his image. He creates us with a purpose and he creates us with a blessing. And we took all of that and we said, thank you very much. I think I can do things better my way. And that's what the first man and the first woman did. Essentially, they said, "Um, I know that you've given me parameters. I know that you've given me borders. I know that you've given me guidelines, but we really do think that we can make Uh, better use of this world and better use of our relationships using our own judgment. That's essentially what happened in the garden. There was a point of decision. And in that point of decision, man and woman chose their way against God's way. And as a result, there were consequences. We find out later that those consequences result in death, a dying physically, emotionally, spiritually, that leads to an ultimate kind of death. Well, in Genesis chapter three, the story picks up that uh, man, man and woman are confronted with this decision. They choose against God, and then God goes on a walk, and he goes looking for them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Scripture says, When the man and the woman heard the sound of God, Genesis 3, 8, heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife, they hid in the trees in the garden. They hid from God. 
And God called to the man and he said, where are you? And when I look at that, I see the God who pursues. I see the God who says that we've got something here. We've got something special. We've got something important. I see a God who says our relationship matters. I see a God who doesn't just allow, you know, us to just walk away, even when we try to hide and avoid and evade, because that's what we do, right? Sin causes us to hide. That's what sin does. Sin causes us to recognize that we are no longer in harmony relationally with ourselves, with God, or with the people around us. That's why when we make mistakes, we try to cover those things up. And God says, friends, I already know where you're at. I already know what you've done or haven't done. I know these things. And what sin does, listen, we have to understand, is sin distorts and perverts our perception of who God is. Right, our, our sin tells us that God is angry at us and he's gonna punish us. But that's not the truth of who God is. God is a God who pursues us. God is a God, it doesn't mean there won't be consequences. It doesn't mean there won't be some form of discipline. But God is saying, listen, out of love, I want to draw near to you in your sin. The very best place for you to be in your sin is to be closer to God than further away from him. Because in isolation, our sin grows and gains power over our lives. So I see the God who pursues and I see his presence. I see a God who draws near. He is not a God who draws away from us in the midst of our mistakes. Right here in the garden, God creates a table. Figurative, but it's a table. He creates a place of encounter. He creates a place where Adam and Eve, even in their brokenness, can commune with God. Friend, I want you to know that wherever you are today, gospel proclamation to you is, you may feel far away from God. You might be hiding from him. You might be running in the opposite direction. And God is saying, I've got a table for you. I've got a table for you. Look what happens. So God has a conversation with Adam and Eve. He talks about the consequences of their decision. Everything he does is laced in love. And then it says right here in verse 21, put your eyes on Genesis chapter three, verse 21, if you would. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now remember, for those of you guys who are familiar with the story, when when God begins pressing into Adam and Eve, he says, guys, where are you? Adam's response is, we're naked, and now we're ashamed to be with you, right? We, we are, well, you were naked before, and you were not ashamed, right? You had nothing to hide, but now you're naked, and you're, you're aware that there is, there's, there's something now twisted in your perception of beauty. There's something twisted in your perception of that which is good and right, and now you're hiding, you're retreating from God, he says, well, I was naked. So now God makes provision for their nakedness. He covers them, right? And in order to do that, he has to slaughter some animal. He has to shed blood because the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or covering or making right of sin. So God sheds this animal, takes its skin, and now he clothes them. And he says, you are now covered. There's provision that God makes in his hospitality. Many of us are familiar with a, a very well-known Psalm, Psalm 23. Turn with me to Psalm 23, if you would. There's this little phrase that's nestled within Psalm 23 
that speaks to the hospitality of God. But we're gonna begin in verse one and walk through and let's just see if we can find it. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the God who provides. He's the God who pursues. He's the God who watches over. He's the God who tends. He's the God who takes care for us. He says, I lack nothing. Everything that I need, not necessarily the things that I want or desire, but the things that I need, God knows what those are. He knows what you need right now, friend. He knows what you need right now. And he is a God who provides for that. Verse two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or he restores or he makes right or he heals my soul. The broken places, the tired places, the frustrated, angry places, the places that are at dis-ease within me, God restores those. And he guides me along the path, the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk, through the darkest valley. How many of you guys feel like you're in a dark valley right now? Anybody in this room? Nobody feels like you're in a dark valley? Okay, I'll just be the only one to throw my hand up and say, I feel like I am in a very, very dark valley, all right? But even though I walk through a dark valley, I'm not gonna fear no evil, all right? Because you're with me. God is with me. And as long as God is with me, there is no reason to fear sickness, illness, right? Death, enemies, uh, finances. You are with me. You are present with me in this dark night of the soul. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now watch this. You prepare a table before we were talking about the hospitality of God. We're talking about the God who welcomes and receives the stranger and the guest. We're talking about the God who pursues us. He draws near with his presence and a God who makes preparation. He's a God who makes preparation. I want you to know that whatever it is that you're walking through right now, it is not taking God by surprise. That God has made preparation for where you are. He's made preparation for what you're walking through right now that he has resources that are already at his disposal. And they're not just kind of laying around that he's actually went ahead and he's got those things in advance and he's laid them out for you. I'm telling you right now, you guys, there is a table for you. It is a table of hospitality and it is a table of abundance that God has set right in the middle of your darkest valley. Some of you are being lied about. Some of you are being accused. Some of you, your, your, your most honest and pure intentions and motivations are being twisted. They're being used against you. And even with that, God has set a table. He has set a table of forgiveness for you. He has set a table of grace for you. Come, come and feast on grace, friends. Come and feast. Come and receive of the forgiveness of the Lord that has been made available for you. Listen, the only way that you're gonna make it through this is if you come and receive what God has made available for you to give to others, right? Think about this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, the people that are against you. Now, Jesus tells us this when he gets to the gospels in Matthew 5. He says, love your enemies. And in loving your enemies, he says, you are most like God. Think about that. 
You are most like God, not when we're singing songs of worship, not when we're healing the sick, not when we're raising the dead, all of those things I think that we can and should do. But he says, you're most like, let's keep that up there, please. You're most like me when you are loving the people that are against you. Why is that? Why is that? Why can he say that you're most like me when you are kind and you are patient and you are gracious and you are merciful to the people that hate you and oppose you? Because that is the essence of who God is. That is the quintessential characteristic that marks him against any and other entity in the planet. No other God, no other false idol is a God who sits in the presence of his enemies and extends mercy and kindness and grace. This is our God. This is the God we love. This is the God who loved us, that when we were enemies with him, Christy and I were talking last night and it was kind of a burst of revelation. We were talking about, you know, being kind and hospitable and gracious to people that essentially, like, I, th- I think we're wrestling, guys. Let, let me just, let me let you into some of the inner battles and the struggles of the humanity of Jade and Christy, and particularly as pastors, right? How do you keep being hospitable towards people who feel entitled towards that? How, how do you keep being gracious? How do you keep pursuing someone who keeps pushing you away? How do you do that? right? How do you keep letting someone in? Do you? Do you keep letting people in to the sanctuary of your home and your family and your heart who could take those things and use them against you and misrepresent you? How do you keep loving people who keep turning around and hurting you? How, how do you do that? And just kind of, again, like in a burst of revelation, it just dawned on us. You know, that was Jesus. Jesus was murdered by the very people he came to give hospitality to. Jesus was betrayed by friends. Jesus came to give his life away. And the very people that he came to host and to love and to extend mercy and kindness are the very ones that crucified him. Guys, we are most like God when we love our enemies. But this is impossible. Friends, this is an impossible task without him, right? This is why in the presence of your enemies, we must receive from the table that he has set for us. There is a table of grace for you. Some of you right now, there are some, there are some coworkers that are maligning you. There are some bosses, supervisors, directors that are treating you unjustly. And there is a table. There is a table for you that has wisdom. There is wisdom. You need a wisdom that is beyond yourself. And there is wisdom that is available for you right now in the presence of your enemies. The God of hospitality invites you to come and to receive. Let's look at this next story in Luke chapter 10. Very familiar story for those of you guys who've been in the Christian faith for some time. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. This is a story that we endearingly call the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, as you read this story, if you are anything like me, hopefully not, but let me just say, I have always read this story and I've kind of put myself in the place of the Good Samaritan, like, oh yeah, that's the kind of guy that I want to be. He's, you know, that's the challenge. He's confronting me. Guys, the story of the Good Samaritan is a story of Jesus. Every hero in scripture is always Jesus. 
Jesus is always the hero. So anytime we see any good quality or character, it's always a prophetic picture of who Jesus is. It's pointing to the, re- the, the reality of who Jesus is. Look at right here, chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost like he had this, you know, this, this rhythm, this cadence, like, I know this is what they taught me. I know exactly what the answer is. Good, you got it. Well, well done. You may go, right? Do it. Like, do, do the scripture that you've memorized, and you'll live, right? So then, like, he could have been off the hook. He says, but he wanted to justify himself, So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor exactly, right? In reply, Jesus said, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, like a running theme here. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion for him. When he saw him, hospitality begins with seeing. You just let that settle in for a second. Hospitality begins with seeing. Welcoming the stranger begins with seeing the stranger. Receiving the guest begins with seeing the guest. Seeing with eyes that are beyond our own. That's one of the reasons why, guys, everything we do around here has some level of purpose and intention to it. So when we say, look around and see the people that are in this room, what are we doing? We're, we're inviting you to participate and partner with the Holy Spirit. Lord, is there someone that is in my spiritual family that you're calling me to tend to? We have to practice seeing. God, the God of hospitality is the God who sees. He is the God who sees. Do you remember in the Old Testament, there was a story about a girl named Hagar. Hagar was Abraham and Sarah's servant. And Hagar was kind of like volunteered for this mission that she didn't want to be a part of to have relationship with her master because Sarah couldn't have children. So Hagar is invited into relations with Abraham, Abram. She has a child. And then Abraham and Sarah conceive. And as soon as she conceives, Sarah turns on Hagar and says, you got to get rid of this lady. You got to send this lady away. So here's this lady who started off as a servant who is forced to have sex with her master and she doesn't want to. She bears a child. She's raising her child and overnight, she finds herself a single mom. And she's wandering around in the desert ready to die. And God shows up and he says this, 
He says, I see you. Hospitality begins with seeing. There's another story in Exodus where the children of Israel are slaves in a country not their own. They're being oppressed, they're being treated unjustly, and they are crying out to God. And Moses finds himself face to face with God, and here's what God says to them. He says, I have heard the cries of my people. God is the God who sees, right? We, we can't be a people who welcome. We can't be a people who have honest conversations. We can't be a people who have any idea what it means to sit in the crossroads of conflict and tension if we don't first train ourselves to see the other. To see the other as a human created in the image of God. To see the other not as black, brown, Asian. To see the other not as poor, rich. To see the other not as educated or uneducated. To see the other not as Democrat, liberal, Republican, conservative. To see the other as someone who God sees. That's where hospitality begins. It begins with seeing. And so it says, the good Samaritan, when he saw him, he had pity on him. He had compassion. Compassion begins with seeing, with seeing with the eyes of God. And then it says right here, look what, look what happens. Look what follows, right? As a result of him seeing him, verse 34, he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey. I was thinking about that. Have you ever lifted a lifeless human being? <laughs> this dude, like hospitality requires energy and strength. It will cost you. There's nothing romantic about hospitality. Like the only thing romantic about hospitality is Chick-fil-A and my pleasure. Like that's it. Like put that aside and hospitality will cost you. You will be taken advantage of. It is dangerous. It, it is difficult. It is tiring, right? To go home after a long day work and clean up your house and cook a meal. Most of which people sometimes, maybe they'll eat. Sometimes they won't. I have, I have labored over meals before and people like kids not even eat them throw the food away, not clean up afterwards, not say thank you. There's nothing romantic about hospitality. It's hard work, but, that's, but we don't do it. We don't do it for the reward. Remember in the definition, it is the generous welcoming of the stranger and the guest without the expectation of reward. So, the good Samaritan, Jesus, in my estimation, he takes this man, lifts him up, hoists him on his donkey, which probably means now that he's walking. So this man who he doesn't know, he has no emotional, intimate, relational connection with, who, by the way, is a racial enemy. Like, listen, if we're going to translate this to nowadays, this would be a black man who goes to a white man. 
This, this, is, this is the tone of the story here, just so we're understanding the point that Jesus is making, and we translate this well to nowadays. Or this could be a Hispanic immigrant going to a wealthy white person and hoisting this person up and taking the little of their earnings. I seriously doubt this man was wealthy. And he goes and he says, care for this man and whatever it costs while I'm away, I will take care of it. Guys, this, I'm just here to tell you, put yourself now in the, in the story. You're not the good Samaritan. Maybe you're the Levite, maybe you're the priest, but for the purpose of today's message, I want you to put yourself in the part of the story as the person who's been victimized. You're the one who's been robbed. You're the one who was traveling along life. This is what the scripture tells us. He was going along his own way. He woke up that morning expecting it to be a good day and unjustly life happened to him. Couldn't control it couldn't fight against it, a true victim in the truest sense of the definition of the word. He was overpowered. He was overtaken. He got a report that he wasn't expecting. He was left to die. It's what the scripture tells us. He was beaten. He was stripped. His security was taken from him. His life was taken from him. And he was left alone, isolated. And a stranger, a stranger comes and cares for him. And friends, my point today is, is that every single one of us at some point in some way, we have to remember that we were the one that was stripped and beaten and left for dead by sin, by the enemy, by the world, by our own poor choices. Some of us by our own families, some of us by friends, right? We are the one that is in need of the love and the kindness of a stranger. And God, God comes and extends to us hospitality. Jonathan, if you would come this morning. It is so true. It is so true that we can only give what we have received. And we can talk about hospitality as some form of program or church growth or outreach or, you know, some kind of like mustering up our will to be good people. And that's not what we're going for here. What we're going for is a renewed revelation of how God pursued us, how God came near in his presence. He didn't draw back from us, how God made preparation for us and how he became our provision for us. I wanna read this out of Matthew chapter 26 as we prepare our hearts to come to the table of hospitality this morning, Matthew chapter 26. As you prepare your heart to come and receive of the kindness of the Lord, let's look at verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, what do you want us to make? Where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my friends at your house. 
So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. His presence was tending to the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad and they began to say, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus answered, you've said so. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat liberally, generously, freely. I'm giving to you my very best. This is my body. And then he took a cup and he had given thanks and he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, let's stand together. I know that this is not the feast that Jesus had for his disciples. I know that in the natural, this is not tasty and it's not filling. But I also know that in the right spirit, in the right heart, in the right attitude as we approach this, that we touch the hospitality of God, the God who pursues, the God whose presence always draws near, the God who has made preparation for our gravest mistakes, and the God who gives provision. So friends today, let us receive of the unlimited kindness of God. I welcome you today to the table of the Lord. Let's take and let's eat together. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.